Well, as I said, we are jumping into the story of David and Goliath today, and I love this story because this is one of those scriptures and this is one of those stories in the Bible that really transcends just church and scripture. And what I mean by that is that it's a story that we all know, and and even if you're not a believer, even if you're not a Christian, even if you haven't really spent a whole lot of time in church, you've probably heard the terminology that comes out of this story. David and Goliath is a, is a story, it's, it's terminology, it's language that kind of rises up in sports. I'm a big sports guy, so anytime there's like a little team or a little school against a big school or a big team, it's like, oh, it's the story of David and Goliath. We see it in like the NCAA basketball tournament in the spring of every year when, you know, this little school from Podunkville is battling one of the big, you know, mighty teams of college basketball, and maybe they beat them, knock them off, and it's like, man, this was a David and Goliath type story. We see it in the business world. We see, you know, these little startup companies that, you know, started in a garage or in a basement. And man, it was David versus Goliath. They kind of went up. They had a similar product to some established organization or established business. And so we see this David and Goliath story flesh out where they started with, you know, $10 and a dream. Or they were the one packaging and making the widgets. And, you know, they created the website on their own. And, they, and so we'd see that story play out. And, they, you know, when they're reading about it in Forbes and in Business Insider, we read these stories and we go, Oh, this is a David and Goliath story. We see it in the movies. We see how they pit, you know, this protagonist against this antagonist. We see that it's, you know, the little engine that could against this big, mighty force that's going to maybe overwhelm or overtake them. We see it in books. We see it in music. We see all kinds of things in our culture that they either, you know, kind of shadow the story of David and Goliath or they just outright explicitly say, this is a David and Goliath story. And we love those kinds of stories. I know I do. I love these kinds of stories because I love to see, you know, the ones that we don't think can accomplish something to accomplish something great. And I think for the most part, the reason that we like stories like this is because we all kind of feel like David at different stages in our life. We all feel like the one who is pitted against someone who seems a little stronger, a little bigger, they're resourced a little higher, greater than we are. And so we don't always feel like Goliath. We don't always feel like a bully. We don't always feel like a giant. A lot of times we feel like the underdog. We feel like the one who maybe, you know, doesn't have it as together as someone else, but we still want to accomplish something great. And so we love to hear this story because it seems to kind of drive into that part of our heart that believes that we can accomplish something beyond what we are truly capable of on our own. If you got a Bible, I want you to flip with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Last week, we started the story of David, and we're going to look at this really over the length of the summer, but over the next few weeks, just look at the story of David in relationship with other people or in interactions with other people. Now, last week, we looked in 1 Samuel 16 at David's interaction with Samuel. Samuel was the prophet who came to you know, David's hometown. He came to David's father, and he says, hey, I'm going to anoint one of your sons to be the next king. Uh, Saul was still the king, but God had kind of removed his favor from Saul's life. And so we see David being left out and overlooked, but God is the one who looks not at what we can do with our hands, but he's more concerned with what's going on in our heart. And we see that, and we see his faithfulness in the fields, tending his father's sheep. And here in 1 Samuel 17, in in the book of 1 Samuel, we see, I mean, you understand that Scripture was not written in chapter and verse, right? 
So when we see that we're kind of turning to a new chapter, we're turning from 1 Samuel 16 to 1 Samuel 17, that's something that the, the, the translators and, and scholars have come in later and added. So this is really a continuation of the story or maybe an insert in the story where someone is retelling a portion of the stories of David's life at this stage. And so some of the details overlap with what we've seen. Some of the details may seem a little out of order because it might come that some of that story is being retold prior to uh, another portion of the story that's either been told before, or it might even foreshadow to something that's to come a little later in the narrative part of this story. But what we see here is we see David and Goliath. And it doesn't start out that right way. It actually starts out with Israel and the people of Israel versus the people of the Philistines. Now, Israel and the Philistines are going to do battle throughout the Old Testament narrative. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time that we really see them battling against each other or at odds with one another. These are one of the groups of people, or this is one of the groups of people, that the children of Israel seem to always be at odds with. And so we see this time and time again later in David's kingship. We actually see where, you know, the, or earlier in this, we actually see where God's kind of his presence and the ark is stolen away and the Philistines have it. And later we see that David's going to go back and get it. And we have this handoff that takes place and we see them at battle and we see them at war. And later we see before David actually becomes king and before Saul kind of gives up the, the reign of the kingdom there, we see that David goes and fights with the Philistine army against the other enemies that they have and not the children of Israel. So it's a, it's a group of people that are at battle in a lot of the Old Testament narrative. But here in 1 Samuel 17, we have them really kind of at odds. Like if you were to draw this out, if this was a movie, if you were kind of sitting in the theater and you were looking at the screen, what you would see is you would see the, the Philistine army and they're at the top of one of these mountains. And you would see the children of Israel, you would see God's people, and they're kind of at the base of another mountain over here. So you see them kind of at odds. It's interesting that they're not on two mountaintops facing one another. You do have this idea, even before you get to tall Goliath and little short David, you do have the Philistine army at the top of a mountain, and you do have the Israelite people at the bottom of another mountain, kind of at the, the base of a valley or, or right at the start of a valley there. And so you already see kind of these things that are working against one another, and they're at odds, and it doesn't seem to be an even fight. And we read and we talk about the fact that coming out of that Philistine army is a man named Goliath. Now, I've already talked about Goliath a little bit. We know him to be a giant. And depending on the stories that you've read or the things that you've heard, you might think that he's somewhere between six and a half and 18 feet tall, right? But depending on your translation, it probably references something about cubits and spans. So in my translation, in my version, which is the ESV, it talks about him being six cubits and one span tall. Now a cubit, if, if you understand this, if you go back and do some research, a cubit is the distance between someone's elbow and their fingertips. Now I know you, you probably realize this, but they didn't have Walmart back then and they couldn't just run down there and get a tape measure from Home Depot or they couldn't get a ruler or a yardstick. So they had created an entire different system of measurement. And so a cubit, by most estimations, was the, the length from someone's elbow to the tip of their longest finger. And for most people in that day and time, it would have been somewhere around 18 inches or so, 18 to 20 inches. A span was the span of someone's hand from here to the tip of their finger. And so six cubits and one span, if you're reading it in that translation, would be about nine feet tall. 
In other translations, when the scholars really looked at it and they were translating the scripture, the NET version of scripture is one of those. It, it references the fact that he was about four cubits tall and one span, which would be about seven feet tall or so. But here's what you need to know. Seven feet or nine feet is not as big a difference because the average height of a man in that day was about five feet. So if you're a five foot tall man standing next to a seven foot tall man or a nine foot tall man or really a five and a half foot tall man, you're still shorter than the guy you're fighting against. But here's what we know about his strength. Here's why we think he was a pretty big guy. Because it also gives us the weight of the armor that he was wearing. The, the, the scriptures tell us that the armor that he had just on the front side of his body probably weighed somewhere between 125 and 175 pounds. Now, that's roughly about my weight. Probably on the lower end of that. But 125 to 175 pounds. It said that the spear that he was holding was probably somewhere around 50 pounds. A 50-pound spear. Now, a spear is not a cane, right? This is not just something you kind of lean on. A spear, ideally, is something that you pick up and throw to try to you know, hit somebody. Or you take it and you use it to fight against someone, almost like a sword, but you want to have something that's longer so that you can reach them or spear them before they can get to you. So the idea being in that type of battle that they're taking a, he is taking a 50-pound weapon to hold up to, to, to really try to gouge someone, or he's taking it to throw at his enemy to try to attack them before they can get to him. 50 pounds? You ever tried to throw 50 pounds? I mean, sometimes I get sore and weak just trying to pick up my kids who at different stages weighed much less than 50 pounds. And so to try to pick, have you ever tried to throw your child? I mean, no, 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 you didn't ever do that. But in the pool, maybe, right? In the pool, you were, you were tossing. That's what I meant, obviously. That's what I was talking about. You know, in the pool, you're trying to just kind of toss your kids up in the air and let them splash. And they, they weigh a lot more maybe in the water. But man, I, 50 pounds. So we know this is a big guy that is standing across from the children of Israel. And listen to this rant that he has uh, in, in 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 10. He says this, and the Philistine, talking about Goliath, said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, here's what we need to know, and here's what we already know. Enemies create fear in us. Enemies create fear in us. We are confident until we face opposition. I'm a sports guy, I talk about baseball a lot, but this, translate into every, this translates into every area of our lives. My kids, when I'm coaching baseball for seven and eight-year-olds, nine and 10-year-olds, we're in the batting cage and I'm pitching. Man, they're swinging for the fence. They're home run hitters. We hit ground balls. They pick them up, throw them. When Branson was playing soccer, he could run and kick the ball and make a goal, no problem, until the other team shows up, Right? Then there's someone guarding Branson. There's actually someone standing in front of the goal trying to stop him from kicking it into the goal. There's actually someone that's trying to get him out when he's standing there trying to hit. When Cooper, who's playing kid pitch, when he's you know, standing in the box against me, man, he's swinging for the fence. But when that kid gets in there that can throw a little hard and he's got a little curveball or a little change up, man, it changes the dynamics. And now we're a little bit afraid because opposition takes away our confidence. When enemies show up, they create fear in us. And this is what Goliath's doing. He's standing at the top of a mountain, looking out over the children of Israel and the army there, and he is yelling out for them to come and fight. Scripture tells us in verse 16 of this chapter that it's about 80 times 
that he comes out and yells because it says that he does it for 40 days, both day and night. 40 days, both day and night. He comes out and he screams. He says, listen, you send me a man. You send me someone. I'm going to fight them. And if you win, you can take over our kingdom. And if, we, if I win, we'll take over your kingdom. I mean, he is really antagonizing them. He is really causing them to... To, to, to fear and be afraid because they see how tall he is. And you know, he's taller now standing up on top of that mountain and they're down in the valley. And maybe you've never had a big giant yelling at you and asking you to come out and fight. Maybe you have. And if you have, please tell me that story after church because that would be awesome. But maybe it's been some other kind of giant in your life. Maybe the, the medical bills just continue to come and you have no idea how you're going to pay for them. Man, the enemy is there, and it creates fear in us. We're confident until we face some, time, some type of opposition. Maybe your spouse has said, I'm leaving, and there's nothing you can do to change my mind. Maybe on your job, you are so behind on a bunch of projects, and you just know, hey, I've got to really kind of work hard and get caught up at work, and you get home, and your family feels neglected, and so now you're trying to figure out, how do I take a finite number of minutes and hours in a day and be able to give my best in both places and not neglect them, but catch up over here? We get overwhelmed. Maybe you're trying to really kind of figure out how you're going to find life purpose, and you don't even know where to start. You just know you're ill-equipped to get anywhere that you even dream about. You're overwhelmed because you're facing some opposition. Maybe you thought that the plan of God and the plan for your life looked like A, B, C, but A struck out and B's nowhere to be found and you don't even know where C's at. And so now you're trying to figure out how to get there with J and R and Q. And it's just like, how do I, that, those aren't even connected. I don't know how to get to step five because I don't know where step one's at. Because there's opposition and we're afraid and we lose our confidence. And then this amazing thing happens in the story of Goliath versus the children of Israel. David shows up. Now, it doesn't seem like, unless you've been reading the narrative or unless you've heard the story before, it doesn't seem like a huge turn of events here because we have this giant who's somewhere between four cubits and six cubits tall, wearing somewhere between 125 and 175 pounds of armor on his front with a 50-pound spear. Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal when a little shepherd boy shows up. And when he shows up, he doesn't show up ready for battle. He shows up with a basket of cheese and bread that doesn't seem like someone who would actually fight against the, the enemy of the people of God. But the story changes tones here. When you're reading this story, you actually see that something is different here. And it really helps if you've read 1 Samuel 16 because you read a little bit about David and you understand that God's favor rests on him. And you understand that he's been anointed to be the next king. You understand that God sees something in him that maybe other people don't see, which will play out a little further in just a few verses. But you see that his brothers have gone off to war. They're fighting in Saul's army. But he, the youngest son of his family, has been left to go back and forth between the army and still tending his father's sheep. And one day his dad comes to him and says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to check on your brothers You've got your brothers, they're out there fighting in battle. I want you to go and check on them and I want you to take them some food and the commander some food and I want you to kind of find out, give me a progress report. How are they doing? Is that, you know, is something happening over there that I need to know about? He said, bring a token back from them. Bring something back that lets me know that they're okay. So David shows up and he leaves the basket there at the kind of the gate and he goes out and walks among those that are fighting in the army and he gets to where his brothers are at and it's about that time that he hears something happening. 
he hears Goliath yelling and really challenging the people of God. And here's this little David, here's this little shepherd boy, here's this little guy who surely has nothing to contribute to the battle. He's just a little shepherd boy. He's just tending sheep. His dad even forgot about him in the previous chapter when someone came looking for somebody that God could use. And then he hears the voice of the enemy, and instead of being dismayed and afraid like everybody else in the army, he responds in a different way. Look at this in verse 26. It says, David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Where everyone else is afraid by the threats of the enemy, David is insulted by the threats of the enemy. He is walking in such a boldness and such a confidence in the power of God that he says, listen, who is this guy that is challenging us. Have you ever had someone that walked into your situation where you're afraid? Walked into your situation when you're overwhelmed? They just walk in and they go, well, if you just do one, two, three, it'd be over. Like you're so overwhelmed with your finances and you give somebody else the opportunity to look at your checkbook or look at your account and they go, well, if you just pay these three bills and you just cut this expense, your money would be in better shape. And you go, well, how, how, did, you even, how did you even do that? I don't... Because it was a fresh set of eyes. They came in with a different perspective, and they didn't view things through the same lens that you do. If you've been standing under the enemy of God for 40 days, day and night, while he yelled threats at you, and everybody around you was afraid, you have a tendency to be afraid. But if someone else walks in to your atmosphere, somebody else walks in to your presence with a little confidence, I think most times we might, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be as afraid. Maybe this situation's not as bad as I thought it was. Maybe this is not quite as overwhelming as I, I kind of feel like it is for me. And that's what David does. Have you ever been around somebody, though, that's just a little bit more naive than they realize they are? Right? You just, they just kind of walk into a situation, and like you've worked there for 10 years. You know how things work. There's some policies and some procedures, and you know kind of this is how we do things around here. And they walk in, and they go, well, yeah, but I mean, have you ever thought about that? And you're like, well, bless his heart. <laughs> You know, bless his heart. That's code word for what a moron that guy is, right? <laughs> You've never done that, but there's some code language, right? We all have it, you know, just, oh, that's so sweet. That just means you're an idiot, right? I mean, you, you've, ne you've either said it or you've thought it. Maybe there's other language in the break room later when they're not there. You go, wow, you know, isn't she really sweet? It's great that she's joined the team. You're thinking, that, that girl has no clue. She's not going to make it, right? Because they just seem a little more naive, than they need to be to actually succeed here. And I wonder sometimes if we write people off because they seem to have a different perspective than everybody else in the room, and it could be that their perspective is exactly what we all need. That's why people and companies bring in consultants, right? They want someone from the outside to come in and look around and go, how are the things happening the way we keep doing them and how else might we do them to get a different result? Because we're so constricted by our behavior and our patterns of behavior and the culture of our environment that we have lost the ability to innovate. We've lost the ability to dream. We've lost the ability to think new thoughts and dream new dreams and see things from a different perspective. And it's almost like that's what David does when he shows up with the army. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would challenge the people of God? Now, listen to the response of his older brother in verse 28. 
Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Be ready for people to question your motives and your ability when you prepare to face big things. Did you hear what Eliab said to him? He said, why are you even here? You don't belong here. Not only do you not belong here, but you have a menial little task back home that you don't need to neglect because that's all you're good for. We are out here fighting, which they weren't, by the way. They were hiding in the shadows. But he says, you need to go back to those few sheep in the wilderness where you belong way back there. He says, I know the evil of your heart. Keep in mind that God had just looked at David's heart and said it was good. And that his heart was exactly what qualified him to be king. But here's someone else who's twisting his motives. He's twisting his words. He's twisting his actions. Have you ever been there? Anybody ever looked at you and questioned your motives? When you know in your heart of hearts, they're as pure as can be. You just showed up and you, you were bringing Eliab food. Why you're standing in front of Eliab is because your father was worried about him and asked you to come and bring him supplies. And when you had the audacity to open your mouth and speak, someone challenges you. They call you names. They challenge your motives. They question your integrity. They question the very core of who you are. But here's what I know. When you step out, others will speak up. When you take a stand, you will hear from the biggest critics. You just have to anticipate that. And if you are going to be swayed by that, then don't even try to step out. Don't even try to take a chance because you're going to want to respond to every critic and you cannot. You're going to want to you know, kind of take everything. No, listen, here's what my heart is and here's what my motives are. Man, it's not a few sheep. There's a bunch of sheep. Have you ever been out in the field? Like you're going to want to answer every accusation that they make towards you. And let me just say to you, that's a waste of time. And when you spend your time answering them, you often neglect the one who sent you there. And you take your eyes off of what you're supposed to do and you start answering a bunch of people that are not worth your time. When I was growing up, and it's a baseball analogy, and I'm sorry that I keep giving those, but here's what my dad used to tell me, and I, I think this translate across, translates across the board. My dad used to tell me from an early age, and I tell my kids this now, when someone says something to you, when someone questions your motives, when someone tries to drag you into a fight, my dad would say, don't swing at that. That's a pitch in the dirt, right? Don't, don't give that any of your time. Don't focus your attention there. You know, I heard it said that, you know, pigs like to pull you into the fight, but only one of you is happy when you actually get into the mud. See, how are we actually responding to critics? Are we trying to answer everything back? That's what Eliab did. He questioned his motives. He criticized him. He belittled him. And David... Honestly, if you read it, David just kind of turns away from Eliab and just continues to talk to the rest of the men. He just kind of ignores him. And then word gets back to Saul, the, the things that David's been saying. He's saying, listen, 
I've heard what you've actually said. And so he brings him to himself. And this is what the conversation between David and Saul looks like beginning in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Not everyone will see your potential. Not everybody is going to see what you're capable of doing. But that doesn't matter. They're not the ones who actually are getting to keep score. They just think they are. And so if you are concerned and you are spending your time trying to answer every critic and trying to prove your worth and prove your value, you are wasting your time. Let me say to our students in the room, middle school, high school, college, young adults even, you cannot try to please everybody. I think there's probably some adults in this room that need to know that, but a lot of us have experienced it to know it doesn't matter how hard we try. We just can't please them all. They say they want to be our friend. They say they want to be our boyfriend or our girlfriend. They say they want to do this or do that. And it's so conditionally based that it's not really about what we do. It's about what we can do for them. It's about how we make them feel. And whenever we quit making them feel that way or someone else comes along that makes them feel better, or someone else comes along that can do something different than we can do, they leave us high and dry. You cannot spend your time answering critics, and you cannot spend your time with people that don't see the true value in who you are. You've got to know what you're worth. And you need to spend time with people that see that value and see that worth and see even greater value in you and not people who belittle you who make you feel little and small and who think you're only capable of keeping just a few sheep. You are destined for greatness. Don't let anybody undersell your value. Listen to verse 34. I love this interaction. Listen to this. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, listen, I went after him. And struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I love that. That's awesome. Right? He says, listen, when I was keeping the sheep, if the enemy arose and tried to steal one of my dad's sheep, I didn't just be like, well, we got a bunch of sheep. I went and chased him and rescued him from the mouth of the enemy and struck him down and killed him. I grabbed him by the beard. Like, that's awesome. If that doesn't do something for you, there is something wrong with you. Like, that's amazing. But here's here's what I love. David does what you and I do. He looks back at his past and realizes that the things back there served a purpose right? He's able to look back and say, oh, with fondness, yeah, man, a bear showed up. I think when the bear showed up, he was probably afraid. I think when the lion showed up, he was like, whoa, there's a lion. I got to get out of the way here. I mean, like, I don't think he was like bullying bears and lions out in the field. But when he looks back, he tells the story a little different way. You and I do that, don't we? I mean, I just told that woman in HR, I was like, I don't care if you fire me, right? I mean, we tell that story a totally different way than when we walked in. We we're like, ma'am, can I get the paper that I fill out for the form with the thing for the, you know? 
But when we tell the story, we're like, I walked in and I just told her, like, give me the paper now, woman, right? We tell the story a different way. That's what happens to us. But here's what I want you to think about. Those stories back there served a purpose in his future. And we have the ability to look back and see that. Like we have the ability to look back and go, yeah, I remember when I experienced this and then it took me to this place and I met that guy and then I went there. I only worked there three months, but I met that person. And years later, that resulted in this job and I networked over here. I was faithful over here and then I met this. Like we're able to look back and see that. What would change in our lives if we viewed our present circumstances, not by what overwhelms us, but what God might do in our future? Like if we're standing in front of a bear or a lion and we go, this is preparing me for Goliath. Like what if you're sitting at your kitchen table paying the bills and you're going, there's more bill than there is money in the account. And instead of freaking out about that, you use wisdom and you do the best you can. But what if you said, I wonder what God's preparing me for here. I wonder how God will use this one day. Because we have the ability to look back and see how God has orchestrated our lives to deliver us to this moment. But so few times do we stand in a moment and wonder what God is preparing us for. There have been a few instances in my life where I would be in a moment and I would feel the presence of God almost so real. And I don't want to over-spiritualize it because sometimes maybe it was just me and like the natural. I'm just, I was going, man, I'm learning something here that I'm going to use. Not every time. Sometimes my flight just got delayed. And I'm just ticked. And it's that gate agent's fault. They can't fly the plane. They can't make it work better. But man, my flight's delayed. And I wonder if there would be a different course of action in my life and in my day if instead of being ticked off and frustrated, I go, what did, well, maybe... Maybe God's wanting to do something here. Like, who's in the gate area that God wants me to talk to? What can I do with the next two hours of my life that I would not have had if my flight was on time? How might God want me to spend this two hours to prepare for tomorrow? David said to Saul, he said, listen, when I was back there in my dad's field, God did some stuff back there that make me ready to fight that giant. And so then we see the continuation of this conversation. He says, your servant struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. I'm still not convinced Saul believed David. Like, it's just one of those things where Saul's like, well, listen, if he gets killed, I tried to talk him out of it. I mean, go, God be with you. That's awesome. I mean, have at it. But whether Saul believed him or not, you know what David was doing? And yes, this is a play on words. He was standing a little taller on the promises of God. He was standing a little taller on the experiences that he had back there that showed him that God was able to deliver him out there. And so Saul says, yeah, go, God be with you. He says, here, why don't you wear my armor? I don't know if you've heard, but Goliath's got a bunch of armor on and his spear's like 50 pounds. Wear my armor. Well, we've already heard that Saul was a pretty tall guy earlier in the scriptures, we read that. And so David tries to put on this armor 
and he's wearing it, and it just, I mean, I don't know. I'm just envisioning him, like, not even being hardly able to stand up. And eventually he says to Saul, like, this is not going to work. You've just got to be you. You can't try to be somebody else when you go fight your own battles. The way they fought their battles is not the way you got to fight yours. The way they overcame their obstacles is not the way that you are going to overcome your obstacles. You just got to be you. And you know the rest of the story. David walks out and Goliath's insulted by the fact that all of Israel couldn't deliver him more than this little guy. David walks over to the riverbank and he picks up five smooth stones. And he says to Goliath, he said, just like the lion and the bear, Just like God gave me the power to overcome those enemies, he will give me the power to overcome you. And then I love what scripture says. It says that David ran toward Goliath. And he puts the stone into the sling and he spins it around and he lets it go. Hits Goliath and he falls. He dies. David actually has to use Goliath's own sword to finish the job because he was so unprepared for battle. Someone in our own congregation tweeted this back in January. She doesn't even know I'm going to use this. And I saved it because I knew we were talking about David this month. And this is what she said. Some saw Goliath and thought, he's so big we can never kill him. But David looked at the same giant and thought, he's so big I can't miss. Willie, come here. I've asked Willie if he'll come up here because he's closest to a giant that I know. (laughs) Sarah, come here. Sarah's the closest to little short shepherd boy that I know. Look at this. <laughs> Willie just said, don't hit me with a rock. <laughs> now, this seems like she's overpowered. Right? This seems like he's taller, he's bigger, he's stronger. I mean, by all appearances, this is what we just read. We read the story of one fighting another. And it seems so unfair and it seems so overmatched. And when we look at it like this, we go, wow, okay, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal because I, I, I mean, I think he could actually hurt her. I mean, he's a sweet, gentle giant. He would never do that. When we see it like this, we see it played out like this, we think, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, okay, that makes sense. I, I, I've pictured that in my life. I've seen that happen in my life. But it's all about perspective because David didn't come to Goliath and say, I'm going to beat you. He said, no, 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 no. God has proven that through me, he can beat enemies that are more powerful than me. David acknowledged that Goliath was bigger. He acknowledged that Goliath was more powerful. It's all about perspective in our battles. Because when you are looking up at the giants that you face, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Come right here. But when you realize that God is looking down, go up one more, on your giant, you realize that it's not about what you can do when you're looking up. It's about the fact that you're trusting in a God who's looking down. 
It's the idea that no matter what you face, you can come down. No matter what you face, no matter what battle you have, no matter how big the enemy seems, it's about the perspective that you choose to have in your battle. Are you in your own strength looking up towards the giant that you face? Or are you trusting in a God that you know that is looking down on your problems? You ever been in an airplane? You ever look down on the, the city? You ever look down on the roads? You ever look down on the houses? I mean, you're not that far off the ground when you're taken off, but it's amazing how small those things get. And that's such a cliche. Except that Isaiah tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It tells me that his perspective is different than my perspective. That when I'm walking around down here on the ground and I see the enemy that I'm facing... It's easy to get overwhelmed until I know that I'm not standing on the ground fighting my battle alone. That I'm trusting in a God who's far greater, far more powerful, far stronger than any enemy that I'm fighting against. So you say, okay, that's great, Jeremy. Thank you guys so much. You say, that's great. How do I then overcome giants. I got four things right out of this story that I think translate into every single one of our lives. That if you're facing something that you're so overwhelmed right now, you don't know how it's going to work out. There's job uncertainty, there's relationship uncertainty, there's family dynamics, there's a fight, there's a battle, and you don't know how in the world you're going to overcome it. Here's the four things that I would say to you. One, allow faithfulness to position you in the right place. David stood before Goliath because he faithfully served his father. He didn't show up to be a warrior. He just said yes when his dad asked him to carry grain and cheese. He said, take this to your brothers. Just be faithful. Don't cut corners. Don't take money. Don't buy into the promises of somebody. Just be faithful faithful. Allow faithfulness to position you in the right place. The second thing is allow God's previous victories to shape your belief about present battles. David knew that in the past, God was faithful. He was faithful enough to overcome lions and bears and enemies that he could not overcome on his own. Allow previous victories to shape your belief about present battles. Don't stand in this battle and go, I wonder if, I, I don't know. Just go, yep, God, you did it back there. And I believe that you can do it again. The third thing is this. Don't allow the critics access. You tune your ears to the voice of God and you tune out everything else. Because there will be critics who talk about you. They question your motives. They question your integrity. They say things about you that aren't true. And your heart and your desire is going to want to set the record straight. Don't waste your time. Tune your ears to the voice of God and tune out everything else. And the fourth thing is this, fight. Don't run away. Run towards. Don't cower in the shadows of the valley because the enemy's standing up on top of the mountain. You pick up the rocks that you need. You declare the goodness of God. You put them in your pouch. You carry the weapon that you believe God has equipped you with. And you run toward 
the enemy, proclaiming the goodness of God. I don't know what your giant is. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what your yesterday looked like. Here's what I know. God is great. He's greater than anything that you're facing. And you are not standing toe to toe with an enemy that seems bigger than you. You are trusting in a God who has a different perspective than you do. God desires you to win. That's not just something preachers say. God wants you to be victorious. I heard a preacher say when I was young, and I've heard it a thousand times since, you flip to the end of the book, we win. You may be in a battle that seems like you've lost, but the war is not over. And your enemies will go running, and you will chase them down, and you will capture them because God is fighting for you. Right now, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes because you know what battles you're facing. I don't, but you know what God wants to do or what you're hoping God will do in your life. I don't. And so as you sit there with nobody looking around and as you sit there just kind of searching your heart, praying quietly potentially, thinking through your tomorrow, thinking about that person or that job situation or those finances or that health issue. You're thinking about that giant. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Zoom out. Zoom out. Get your perspective off of toe-to-toe with a giant and try to picture it from the airplane. It doesn't change the circumstance, but it changes your perspective about the size of your problem and the God who's fighting for you. God, I pray today for every person in this room and every battle that they're facing. You want them to be victorious. You desire for them to win. This is not some kind of prosperity gospel. I realize there are real battles to be fought. I realize sometimes we seem to lose, but we are trusting in a God who has declared that we are victorious and that the totality of this story ends in victory for God's people. So I pray that we align our hearts with you. I pray, God, that we would change our perspective. I pray that we would allow faithfulness to position us in the right place for battle. I pray that we would allow your previous victories through us to shape our belief about the present battles that we face. I pray that you would help us to tune out the critics in our lives. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength to run toward the battle. And God, I fight for us. Everywhere we're afraid, let it be replaced with an acknowledgement of your strength. Give us your peace. And God, give us an understanding that you fight for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.